0: Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Exodus, chapter 27. Exodus, chapter 27. And I'd like to read again verse 16. When we talk about the gate of the court, we talked about the court, the fence, and various other things. But let's look at verse 16. And for the gate of the court shall be in hanging of twenty cubits of blue, and purple and scarlet, and fine twine linen, wrought with needlework, and their pillars uh, shall be four, and their sockets four. And the pillars round about the court shall be filleted with silver. Their hooks shall be of silver, and their sockets of brass. So the hooks, the the tops, pillars, the fillets were the top of the the, uh, pillars, and the uh, sockets on the bottom were brass. The length of the court shall be in a hundred cubits, and the breadth fifty everywhere, and the height five cubits of fine twine linen, and their sockets of brass. And all the vessels of the tabernacle, and all the service thereof, and all the pins thereof, and all the pins of the court shall be of brass. Now then, we'll pick up with the the 20 and 21st verse in another study. I don't know if we get to it tonight or not, but at least we're... We wanted to kind of finalize this thought about the court and then get into the brazen labor, and I'll give you information on that in a moment. Now then, the gate, if you notice verse 16, there was a gate to the court. You can see it on your diagram. And uh, everyone that went in had to go in by this gate. Remember we said the the height of the uh, side of the tabernacle was... uh, Seven and a half feet high. It was 150 feet long and 75 feet wide, the whole court. And the gate was equally high, seven and a half feet, so the ordinary man could not even look over and uh, let alone get in. So we know there's only one way, and that's through the gate. This gate represents Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh into the Father but by me. So he's the way into God's presence. He's the way into uh, salvation, the way into God's presence behind the veil. And uh, we might say there's a reference also to John chapter 10 and verse 9 where Jesus said, I am the door. I'm the door. The gate is equivalent to the door. I'm the door by me if any man shall enter in. uh, Any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. So Christ is the door. And we need to notice that the Israelite was not accepted by thinking about the door, and he was not accepted by believing that the door was there. He was only accepted when he entered that door. Now then, uh, he could enter the court, but he could not enter the uh, tabernacle itself. That was left to the priests. If you remember, the priests in the Old Testament were representatives of the people in various ways. Sacrifices and, as well as entering into God's presence for the, the people. But we'll find out that uh, the priests there that finally did enter in to the tabernacle itself let alone the court, but into the tabernacle. Uh, They represented the people. And furthermore, uh, you and I are priests today so that we can tread the pathway from the beginning to the Holy of Holies all the way through. Because when Jesus died on the cross, remember the veil of the temple was rent in the midst from the top to the bottom, making the way not only for the believer to enter in the gate or the door, come by the brazen altar, and he can also wash in that brazen labor and be fit to enter into the tabernacle. And also, he's able to enter into the holiest of all by the blood of Jesus. So we're privileged today to enter in where only the high priest could enter then, and only the priest could enter in this forefront uh, part, the holy place. So, what Jesus did for us on the cross, he... Broke down all these barriers, and he made it possible that we could uh, enter in. And the pins and the cords of this uh, court, the pins were of brass, and the cords were of linen. The pins were driven into the ground, and that speaks of the fact that Christ came into the world. Uh, By the way, the word pen is also translated nail. And if you look in Isaiah 22, verse 22 through or 20 through 25. But I may just read a verse or two. Isaiah 22. Let's just look at verse 22, 22, 22 and 3. Isaiah. It says, "And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder." Now, this is a greater one than the king that was, or the man that was spoken of here in verse 20. And this, this greater one is, of course, Jesus. We know that the key of the house of David will be laid upon his shoulder. Uh, so he shall open and none shall shut. Remember over in the book of Revelation, he said, I'm the one that opens and, and I'm the one that shuts. And he opens and shuts the doors. And he shall shut and none shall open. And verse 23 says, And I will fasten him as a nail. There's the word nail, the same as the pen back there in the tabernacle. I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious stone to his Father's house. We know that prophetically that speaks of Christ. So, uh, the word pen being translated nail is evident there. And the pins were of brass, of course. And that means they would not rust. They would, not, uh, they would be uh, long-lasting. They would be strong and sure, Secure. And the cords were strong; they were tested constantly, but never failing. And this speaks of Christ, who was constantly tested. He was tested in every way, and in every test, he was victorious. The Bible tells us that he was victorious uh, in Hebrews. Let me read Hebrews chapter. Let's see what it is. Chapter. Uh, I don't know if I can find it, Hebrews chapter six. Hebrews chapter six, if you will. Now I have it. In verse uh, 19 and 20. Well, let's see. Let's read verse 18 through 20. It says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Now look, verse 19 and 20. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. And which entereth into that within the veil, where whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So that he's the one that has stood the test, and he's victorious, and he's entered in before us. And of course we can depend upon that. Colossians chapter two and verse seven. Let me read this for you. It says rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So we're rooted and built up in Christ. Now then, the security of the pen was in the fact that it was driven securely and deep into the earth. It was buried into the earth. Many of you stretch tents, and uh, you know you have whatever tent stakes you have, you have to drive them firmly into the ground. So that they'll hold when you stretch the cords or ropes to them. And the security of this pen was in the fact that it was driven deeply into the ground. Securely. It was buried into the ground. And the security of the believers to be found in the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again. If you notice that when you drive the pen into the ground, you not only have some of it in the earth, but you have some of it sticking out of the earth. So you have death and resurrection. You have death, burial, and resurrection in the pens that we study. And remember, they were made of brass, indicating that Christ suffered the judgment of our sins Himself in His death and burial. And when He rose again, He declared that judgment to be ours in that now we're justified by faith and we have peace with God the last verses of Romans chapter 4 says He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. And then it says in Romans chapter 5 verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So His death and burial and resurrection guarantees our uh, forgiveness and justification and have peace with God. Uh, there are many things about the cords that we could study. Let me give you one reference in Hosea 11.4. Hosea chapter 11 and verse 4. Let's read verse 3 and 4. Hosea 11, verse 3 says, I taught Ephraim, and by the way, the term Ephraim is sometimes used for Israel as a whole. And that's the way it's used here. Because if you look at verse 1, it says, When Israel was a child. Now then in verse 3, I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms. That is, all the people. By their arms. But they knew not that I healed them. By the way, get the picture here before we read verse 4. It's like, uh, you know, when you have a little child or a baby beginning to walk, and you'll one person will say over here, come to me, and another one over here. And someone will finally take them under their arms and and guide them to one, one of the parents or grandparents or whoever is calling them to come when they're just learning to walk. And God says, I, I taught them to walk. I taught them, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. Now look at verse 4. I drew them with cords of, uh, with cords of a man. Now you see the cords that we're referring to? With the hands of love. These cords bind us to Christ. And I was to them as they that take off the yoke of their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. In other words, He relieved them of their burden. Take off the yoke from their jaws. And He says, "I And I laid meat, and laid meat unto them. Fed them. Isn't this a picture of God's love? It certainly looks like it to me. And anyway, we could go on and on. There's a lot here in Hosea we might could deal with. But uh, let's look in... Uh, Colossians one verse seventeen, if you will, the book of Colossians, chapter one and verse seventeen. Notice what it says here: "And he is before all things, and by him all things consist." That means that they're held together. Speaking of Christ, he is before all things. Well, let's read verse uh, fifteen on down through seventeen and eighteen. It says, uh, "Who is the image of the invisible God." That's Christ, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Now look, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. That means that they're, the word uh, means glued together or held together, bonded. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. It pleased the Father. There's, this is so rich we could read on down and on and on because it's all tied together. So it's the love of Christ that holds us together. Paul said in another passage, I believe it's maybe 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, the love of Christ constraineth us. Constraineth us. Now, notice that the pins and the cords must go together, and one is useless without the other. The pins speak of the judgment, death, burial, and resurrection, and the cords speak of the love that binds all of it together, the side of the tabernacle and the... And uh, the fence here, we're studying the court fence. And uh, it's uh, held together. So you have love and the love of God. And you have Christ bearing the judgment of our sins through His death, burial, and resurrection. And it's all tied together to give us security and safety. Now then, we want to pick up another subject. And that is something that we haven't studied yet in the book of Exodus. Turn back to Exodus. Turn to chapter 30. Now this is the second time that we've taken things out of sequence. Because if you remember when we studied the altar of incense, we had to go over to chapter 30 to talk about the altar of incense. But this is another vessel of the tabernacle that we have not touched upon, and that is the the brazen laver so if you turn to chapter 30, we'll pick up a verse 17, and we'll find the last one of these vessels, or pieces of furniture, if you want to call them that, that we haven't studied. And do you remember before when we detoured from back there in the 25th and 6th chapters, coming to chapter 30, and starting with verse 1 and studying the altar of incense, which is right here before the veil. And we we all we studied that one out of sequence, and then we went back and studied the brazen altar and the things we've been studying. Some of you do you remember that? I think some of you do. Okay, so now let's pick up with verse eighteen here, uh, verse seventeen, uh, and we'll study the brazen labor, and again take our study out of sequence from what it was before. Verse seventeen, and the Lord spake unto Moses saying, Thou shalt also make a labor of brass and his foot also of brass to wash withal, and thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. That means the brazen altar that we've been studying. If you look on your diagram, you can see the labor there. It's It's after the brazen altar and it's before you enter the tabernacle. And that's the location of it. Thou shalt also make a labor of brass, and his foot also of brass to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation. Now remember, these were priests, and they represent you and I as priests now. So we need to wash before we go into the presence of God. But we first have to come by that brazen altar of sacrifice, Christ's sacrifice for us, and then we have to come by this brazen labor. But let's continue with our reading. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. No unholy one, an uncleansed person, can enter into God's presence. We have to be cleansed, and we're cleansed by the blood of Christ. Remember we sing the song? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? And we're cleansed. And then there, there has to be really for, for our continual uh, fellowship in the presence of God, we have to have daily cleansing. We'll get to that in a moment. So it really means daily confession of our sins. Washing our hands and our feet. Hands represent service and feet represent our walk. So our service and our walk has to be clean if we're to stay in God's presence. Let's go and read this. They shall wash with water that they die not, or when they come near to the altar, to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not, and it shall uh, be a statute forever to them, even to Him and to His seed throughout their generation. That means all the priestly family later on. Now then, when we're studying this, I think it's very important that we give a lot of details, but I'm not going. I'm going to dispense of all the review because we've had so many times reviewed. Uh, We talked about the brazen altar. That's what we just finished, and uh, I have a lot of things under this that I will just eliminate. But we talked about the mercy seat, and we talked about the uh, ark of the covenant. We talked about the things that were in the ark. We talked about the veil. And within the holy place, the uh, the holy place This forward, we talked about the table of showbread and the uh, golden lampstand or candlestick. We've already spoke of the altar of incense and we spoke of the coverings of the tabernacle. And I think I've elaborated on that uh, enough that we won't have to review all that. So we'll pick up with what we've just read about the brazen laver because I think we can uh, focus our study completely on that tonight. What we just read about the brazen labor. Now, we need to remember this passage. It's uh, 30th chapter, verses 17 through 21. And it's very important for us to remember that. The labor was, of course, placed outside of the tabernacle, but it was inside the court. And it was between the brazen altar and the tabernacle. We've already mentioned that. And thus the priest must pass pass it on his way to the altar, from the altar rather, the brazen altar, into the holy place. So he had to pass this labor on the way to get in. And this labor was for the priests alone. It was not for the people. It was for the priests alone. And this labor contained water, which is very important. We need to think of a the part that water plays in the human life. And we know it's a great necessity. And we think of the water that play, that uh, has played in the Bible a very important part. And the typical teaching of the labor is very important for the Christian to know. In the Old Testament, cleansing was by blood and washing with water. And they were distinguished. Today we get them confused. God never did. He had to go by the brazen altar... For salvation, we'll say salvation of the cross. You had to go by the brazen labor to enter into the holy place. It was designed for priestly purification. And at the brazen altar, sins were dealt with and put away at the brazen altar. At the golden altar, here, before you entered the veil, worship was presented to God. Remember, the incense was burned and then there was permission for the priest to go into the veil. But midway between this brazen altar and if the priests were required to wash their hands and their feet. So communion with God makes it necessary, not only acceptance, but purification. The labor tells us the need of cleansing. If communion with God is to be maintained, there must be cleansing. Not from the guilt of sin, but cleansing from the defilements along the way. Hands and feet. The guilt of sin was taken care of at the brazen altar. We'll say at the cross, the guilt of sin was taken care of. We'll say at the labor, the washing of water by the Word, cleansing is taken care of. And that's what we need. So, uh, the question of sin had to be dealt with. And this must be settled before any approach uh, to God could be made. And having slain the sacrifice out there and poured its blood at the foot of the altar, the sons of Aaron were now able to advance. But before they could continue into the tabernacle, they must wash. Remember it says they had to wash lest they die. And before we can burn incense or have prayer, we must be washed or cleansed of the labor. labor. You know, the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. The Lord will not hear me. So unless we're cleansed in our lives... How can we expect God to hear our prayers? You know, people just go along in this life and think it's not necessary for us to live a holy life and a godly life. It's absolutely necessary if we want our prayers heard. And that that cleansing comes in some ways we'll try to describe in a little bit. But we need, we Christians, in our everyday walk, come into contact with sin and with impurity. And these need to be cleansed before we can really commune with God. And it was the priests, not the Israelites, that were to wash there. Had they failed to wash, they would have still been uh, members of the priestly family, but they could not have entered the tabernacle. Nothing changed that. The soiling of our feet and hands do not affect our standing before God. They would have still, still been priests, but they couldn't do the work that they were called upon to do. These defilements do affect our communion with God. We cannot enter into the priestly privileges unless we're washed and cleansed in that labor. Now then this labor points to Christ who is able to meet our every need. And it's imperative as well as perpetual that the priests were obligated to wash their hands and their feet. The whole body was not to be washed. That would have symbolized the new birth. The new birth cannot be repeated. But our hands are for service and our feet for a walk And only the hands and the feet, this represents our daily walk, needs to be cleansed. I think one of the best places we could study this is in the uh, Gospel of John, chapter 13. Flip over to John, chapter 13, if you will. John 13. Let me just read the whole of it. Not the whole chapter, but beginning at the first, on down to. I'd say verse uh, 15 15 or 16, somewhere. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, He knew the time was there. Having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. I like that. Then it says, And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He was come from God and went to God. Look at that. He rises from supper and laid aside His garments and took a towel and girded Himself. This was the attire of a servant. After that, He poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. You have it in John chapter 13? I'm in verse 5 and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. That's the duty of a servant. He had the attire of a servant, and he took upon him the duty of a servant. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, "What, What I do now thou knowest not hereafter, but thou shalt know hereafter. Thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. There is a lesson then to be learned. Jesus is saying, what I'm doing now, you do not realize what it means, but hereafter you'll know. Thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. You know, never say never. We've heard that before, haven't we? Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. In other words, we don't have any fellowship. He didn't mean Peter was lost. He meant they couldn't have any fellowship with one another. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Just wash me all over. Now then, Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. In other words, he, was, he had the washing of regeneration. He was born again. He is a child of God. He was already clean through the Word of God. But he did walked through this world, and he was con- contaminated in this world daily. That's what Jesus was teaching. We have daily contamination. And he says, Jesus said to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. Now, they, what he meant all of them were not clean. He's talking to, about a person here, not, the, not Peter. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. He knew that one of them was not clean at all. And that was Judas. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you? Did they realize? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so am I. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. They ought to have daily cleansing. Now, here's where a lot of churches have got uh, foot washing into the thing. But remember, Jesus said, you not, don't know what I'm doing now. But you'll know it hereafter. Verse 15, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily I, verily I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Now, the cleansing that we all need is through the Word of God. Now, let me give you some references that will help us to understand. Uh, First of all, let me make a few comments. Christ is our advocate, whether we go to the labor for cleansing or not. He's our advocate with the Father. He's our salvation. Our entrance into heaven does not depend on our confession of sins after salvation, but unto salvation. We need to confess our sins after we're saved. But also, we need to confess our sins if we have fellowship with Christ. It depends upon our coming to the labor for cleansing. And the water in the labor, this is a figure, a type of the written Word of God. Psalm 119, let me read this for you. Psalm 119, and verse uh, 9, I believe it is. Let me see if I can turn to it. Psalm 119, verse 9. And notice what it says here. I believe I could quote it too. It says, Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? That's the question. Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to His Word. By taking heed. how, How is a young man going to cleanse himself? By taking heed to the Word. And let me give you another one in Ephesians if you will, chapter 5, it says here, in verse 24, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, now look at verse 26, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. Washing of water by the Word. Now then also, As far as our regeneration is concerned, as far as being saved is concerned, in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration. That's salvation. The washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So, the washing of regeneration is different from Washing in the Word day by day. This washing of regeneration represents our salvation. The washing of water by the Word represents a cleansing of those who are already saved. Uh, John 13 that we just studied. Why Jesus told Peter, He says, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. In other words, if you're washed, the washing of regeneration, if you have salvation, then you don't need to worry about that again, but you do need to be concerned about that daily cleansing, washing of your feet. You know, in those days, most, a lot of people went uh, with sandals. A few went barefoot, the very poor. And only the real rich or high standing had shoes. remind me of the prodigal. When he returned home, the father said, put shoes on his feet. Elevate him to a place of respectability, right? And he said, uh, put on the best robe on him and put a ring on his hand. That was a signet ring that gave him the authority that the Father had. Let him seal the documents with his ring like they did in the Old Testament days. So he said, put on the best robe, robe of righteousness, put a ring on his hand, give him authority, put shoes on his feet, give him respectability. And not only that, he says, go out and kill the fatted calf and let's make a feast. For this my son was dead and is alive again. And it says, and they began, I like that word, to be married. That was only the beginning of it. I mean, we're married from now on, aren't we? We're happy from now on. The happiness and the The blessings that we have in the Lord should make us happy every day. You say, well, preacher, I can't with all of my problems and trials be happy. Well, I have a few myself, and I try to be. Uh, Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And we learn to rejoice even when things are bad. Let's not be like the lady that says, uh, "I I can't be happy when everything's going well because I know they'll turn worse. Well, they may do that. I didn't say it exactly like I usually say it, but anyway, uh, you get the point. So we learn to be happy, even in the midst of trials and sicknesses and sorrows. And I won't bore you in t- telling all of mine and my family's and problems because I think most of you know we have a few. Have to go to doctor myself pretty quick. But anyway, be that as it may, uh, God wants us to be happy. And he tells us that we can cleanse ourselves. Let me give you another one. In John chapter 15 and verse 3 says, Now ye are clean. Look at this. John 15 verse 3. You need to write this one down. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. You're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Notice in Exodus 29 verse 4. Exodus 29 and verse 4. What it says here. Well, if I can get the page turned just right, notice what it says here. And Aaron and his sons shall bring unto the door of the tabernacle the congregation, and shall wash them with water. So everything had to be cleansed. Now let's drop back to, uh, let's dr- turn to Exodus thirty, verse nineteen. Exodus thirty, in verse nineteen, it says, "For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands." And their feet thereat. All of these scriptures will help us to understand. Let me give you another one in the book of uh, the book of uh, James, chapter one. In James, chapter one, <coughs> let's notice verse uh, twenty-two and twenty-three. Well, twenty-two through twenty-five will be good. James says. In chapter one verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, notice the word is very prominent here, and not a doer. He is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in a glass, so it's like looking in the mirror, isn't it? For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now what did he say? That the word of God is like you and I looking into a mirror. That brings us to another point. Uh, if you'll notice in the book of uh, Exodus, again, let's see if I can find the right verse that I want to give you in the book of Exodus. If I can find the verse, just a moment that I want to give you. Well, well. Well, I was trying to find the verse that shows us that you take... that the women provided this to make the labor out of. It was taken of their, their looking glasses, what they looked into, to see themselves. The The labor was actually made of that which was offered by the women wherein they looked at themselves. So it's another point to show you that it speaks of uh, the place of washing for for the priests. That particular reference, I misplaced it some way. I don't know how I did it, but I did. It was taken of the women and it was dedicated for that purpose. And that's how it was made. It was made for uh, the labor that we just have been studying. But anyway, whether I find that reference or not, it's there. It shows that that's how it was made. So, the looking glasses do indicate that we need to look in to the Word of God for our cleansing. And uh, there's a verse there, and I have misplaced it so far. But anyway, yeah, I found it now. It's way over in chapter 38. 38 verse 8, "...and He made the labor of brass and the foot of it, of the brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling." which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So that's a very important reference, and I hope I don't misplace it again. It's uh, Exodus 38, verse 8, when it tells you where it came from. Now let me read it again. And he made the labor of brass, and the foot of it, of of, of brass, of the looking-glasses, of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So they assembled there, and this brass was their looking glass. You know, a shiny piece of brass, you see yourself in it. And so they dedicated that to the making of this labor. And that's the indication I wanted to give you is that it is for, uh, for washing and for cleansing. And we need to look into the perfect law of liberty in order to find our cleansing. And we've already talked about the position of that particular piece of furniture, if you want to call it that. Now then, we cannot enter into worship or enter into the worship of God's house if we not have first washed at the labor, confessed our sins. Someone says, is that true? Well, if, if you don't confess them on the outside, you ought to at least confess them when you hear the preaching and teaching of the Word. And we all ought to be in an, in a, in an attitude of confessing our sins outside the house of God, and inside. Especially when we come inside. And of course, in the tabernacle, it was really God's holy presence. Well, Jesus said this is His presence. He said, where two or three are gathered together in My name, there am I in the midst of them. We're in the midst of Christ's presence, His spiritual presence. Therefore, we ought to confess our sins. And don't wait till you come to church to do it. We need to wash our feet daily. So what do we need as far as daily cleansing is concerned? We need to confess our sins. You know, every night before I go to bed, and I'm sure many of you do, we need to confess our contamination with the world that we walk in during the day. We need to wash our feet. We need to wash it in God's Word. And then as a result of God's Word, it will teach us to confess in prayer. And so these things are God's means of grace for our fellowship.